In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I don't think there's anyone on the planet who would doubt that Jesus has had a huge impact on the world that we live in. You don't have to look terribly far to see that impact. All you need to do is look at the date and you recognise that Jesus is the one who quite literally divides history. He is the one when we say that it's 2021, it's 2021 AD, Anno Domini, year of our Lord, roughly 2,021 years since Jesus was born. Jesus literally does divide history. But his impact in the world has been quite staggering. More buildings have been built for Jesus than any other person in human history. More music has been written for Jesus than any other person in history. He's been the subject of some of the greatest painters of all time. Rubens, Manet, Rembrandt, Dali, Picasso, Van Gogh. Dozens of movies have been made about the life of Jesus. It's remarkable, isn't it, that this carpenter's son from a backwater town in the Roman Empire, has become such a famous person. A carpenter from Nazareth. That's like saying a panel beater from Dapto has changed the entire world. With the greatest of respect to both Dapto and panel beaters, of course. He lived 2,000 years ago, but the shockwaves of his life are still echoing through our world and continuing to shape and change our world. Napoleon uh, spent the last few years of his life in prison on an island called St Helena, which gave him a lot of time to think and a lot of time to write. And from what we can understand, Napoleon was someone who would have professed to have been a Christian. But he said this about Jesus, everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me, his will confounds me. Beside him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His ideals and sentiments, the truths which he announces, his manner of convincing are not explained either by human organisation or by the nature of things. Well, this morning we are looking at the Apostles' Creed and what it says specifically about Jesus, who Jesus is. 
The remarkable thing when you read through the gospel accounts, the accounts of the life of Jesus, is that they seem to have no difficulty in holding both the idea that Jesus is God and is a man, holding both of those ideas together. So let's start with the easy one, the humanity of Jesus. This is a thing that just about every person would agree on, that Jesus was truly a man. The Apostles' Creed seems to devote most of what it wants to say about Jesus to the humanity of Jesus. It wants to stress that he was born as a baby, that he lived as a man, that he died as a man, that he came into the world the same way that every single one of us did. He was born into the world. If he appeared from out of nowhere, if he just kind of stepped onto the world stage as a man, there would have been all kinds of speculation about who he was and where he'd come from. But he didn't just appear. He was born as a child. We we knew who his mother was. We knew where he was born. Matthew and Luke stressed that he was born as a baby and that he came into the world through the pain of childbirth. But it doesn't end there. The gospel writers want to stress that Jesus experienced all of the same things that we experience in life. He got hungry, he ate food, he got tired and he slept. Jesus sheds tears when he stands at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Jesus experiences the full range of emotions in his life. Compassion, love, frustration, anger. It's through the gospel writers that we hear clearly the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus truly was a man. Jesus was a human for the entire time of his life. He shared in our experiences right from his birth right through to his horrific death on the cross. This is God stepping into the world and walking in our shoes in order to save us. So that brings us to the other side of the coin, the deity of Jesus. He's not just fully man, he's also fully God. And there are plenty of Bible verses that point us in that direction, that tell us that that is the case. Let me start with the clear and obvious ones. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus is having a discussion and he says, I and the Father are one. And the religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying and they want to kill him. Look at what it goes on to say. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, have I shown, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Same thing happened a little earlier in John's gospel, in John chapter 5. It says, uh, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. They said to them, uh, sorry, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. And for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only for breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. When Jesus was talking with his disciples, he has this conversation. Oops. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? 
Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my words, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And the list of verses can go on and on. John chapter 1, John wants to say Jesus is God. The word who came into the world to be with us was from God and is God. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that that God fully dwells in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. When Thomas sees the risen Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. When Paul writes to Titus, he refers to Jesus as our great God and Saviour. Mark, at the start of his gospel, gives us a quote from the book of Isaiah about God coming personally to rescue his people and then says that Jesus is the one who has come. Now we have to be clear, the New Testament writers weren't trying to say that Jesus is a bit like God or that Jesus is acting on God's behalf or that he's partly God. The New Testament writers are absolutely crystal clear that Jesus is fully God. And the Bible wants to hold those two ideas in tension, that he is fully man and fully God. Throughout history, the Christian church has at many times struggled to understand that, struggled to possibly even accept that. So there have been those who've tried to come up with something that's a bit more palatable, a little bit easier for us to get our heads around. There have been a couple of kind of ideas that were floated about who Jesus really was to help us have a simpler view. One of them was a thing called docetism, where the bodily Jesus wasn't really a human body, that he was kind of a phantom, an apparition, a a shapeshifter, that he wasn't truly there as a human, he just appeared to be human. But the New Testament writers want to stress the very opposite of that. He was born as a baby in 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 a barn and he dies as a man on the cross. And then there was another idea that was floated at one time called adoptionism, that, that Jesus was born, yes, sure, as a normal human being. And at his baptism, that's when God did something. God indwelled Jesus in some way. And then he was, uh, that, that the godness of Jesus was left before he died on the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think these people were necessarily trying to undermine the Christian message. I think they thought that they were probably protecting the Christian message, making it easier for people to believe and accept. Their logic is that you couldn't have a holy and a perfect God who involves himself in the ickiness of this world. You can't imagine that the God, the creator of this world, is just going to become a part of the very thing that he created, being born as a baby and in a cow shed of all places. And you can't have God getting tired and hungry and thirsty and sad and frustrated. That's not right. But they're wrong. Jesus did come as a man. Jesus did step into the ickiness of this life. 
And God came into the world as a man for a reason. In fact, I want to say for three reasons. First of all, Jesus shows us God. I guess you've all had that experience of talking to someone that you've never met before on the telephone. And and even as they talk, you're building up a picture of what they might look like. Uh, You might have a couple more phone calls with them, and then you get to meet them face to face. And they don't look a, a single thing like you had expected. They seem like a completely different person. Well, the Bible says that Jesus came into the world to show us God face to face. In John chapter 1, it says this, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And there's another verse a little earlier in John, John chapter 1, verse 14, that says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the pages of the Old Testament, no one could see God face to face. The tabernacle was where God sort of symbolically dwelt. But what John is literally saying here is that Jesus tabernacled amongst us. God's glory is revealed to us in Jesus. That you can look God in the face in the person of Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, both the writers want to say exactly the same thing. That Jesus is exactly God, fully God. But the second thing is this, that Jesus shows us what we should be as people, as the people that God has created. The Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam, the Adam who got it right, the Adam who was faithful and obedient, the Adam who was committed to trusting his heavenly father. God's plan and purpose for us is that we should be the kind of person that Jesus is. That we should be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. Jesus is the kind of person that God wants us to be. That's not to say that we're going to look like Jesus or dress like Jesus, but we should think like Jesus. We should share his values his attitudes, his priorities. But last of all, the Bible talks about Jesus coming as a man so that he can sympathise with us, so that he can know what it is that we go through in this life. There's a great verse in the book of Job that sums this up really nicely. I suppose you know the story of Job. Job has gone through these dreadful, dreadful hardships and he feels as though God is a long way away and he doesn't even feel that he can approach God and ask why all of this is happening. But this is what he says. He wishes that he had this. From Job chapter 9, verse 32. God is not a man like me that I might answer him, 
that we might confront each other in court, if only there was someone to arbitrate between us, to lay a hand on both of us. Job knows exactly what he needs. He needs Jesus. Jesus is perfectly qualified to stand between us and God. He knows what our life is like because he's lived it. And he knows what God is like because he is God. And because of this, he's perfectly qualified to stand between us and God. The writer of Hebrews confirms that Job's longing was for the right thing. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the hope we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus sympathises with what happens in our lives and not only sympathises but shows us mercy and grace for those difficult times that we face in life. That's the confidence that we should have in our Christian lives, that we are not in this alone.